Romans 1. Romans 1. Let's see, we'll begin reading down about verse 14. Has it been storming recently? Was it just last Sunday that we got out of here right into that storm? Yes. And here it is. I wonder if the Lord is sending us a message that right about the time of our nation's birthday, all we hear is rumble, 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 thunder, thunder. Oh, and by the way, I've, I've always been excited about the thunder and read in the Word of God how that uh, thunder is likened to God's voice. And the old timer said, you know, when it thunders, be real quiet. So I've always suspected the Lord is talking to us in the thunder. But he's probably speaking Hebrew since he's the Hebrew God. But I always listen real close. But this morning, it stormed. And I heard the thunder and I finally got the message. He said, Bob, get your timing right this time. <laughs> so y'all don't go out into a storm right when we dismiss. All right, Romans 1.14. Romans 1.14. Paul speaking, of course, in this great... A book that tells us about salvation. And he says, I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. I want to preach this morning the power of God unto salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for a chance to meet here, and Lord, we need your help. And we can't do this without your help. And I pray, God, for the Lord Jesus to be exalted and the Holy Spirit to help us. Lord, we pray for your visitation as we talk about these great things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. I want to say that the greatest power on this earth is found in the good news of God's ability and willingness to save man. Amen. It's one thing that he is able, and that's a tremendous thing. He is able, he is able, I know he is able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. He healed the brokenhearted and he set the captive free. He made the lame to walk again and he caused the blind to see. He is able, he is able. I know he is able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. But what good is it to us if he is able but not willing to? He is willing to. God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Amen. Now, this is a great subject. This is, from our perspective, the greatest subject. Because this is where we get in. No subject should be more interesting to man than the gospel. It's the good news that he is lost, but the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Right. It is liberty to the captive. It's 4th of July, and we're thinking about our liberties, and you know my feelings about them and how important they are and how the Virginia Baptist helped secure so many of them for us. Uh, but the gospel is really the liberty, spiritually speaking, that we can celebrate above all others. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The gospel is food to the starving. It's health to the sick. Besides that, its benefits are spiritual and therefore eternal. 
You might be starving to death one day and somebody give you some food and that gets you by a little while, but a year or two later you might starve to death in a separate famine. But the salvation, once you're saved, Jesus said, shall never perish. Amen. What do the words shall never perish mean? Is there any room for misunderstanding? No. Such a plain declaration. Shall never perish. It just cannot happen on the word of Jesus himself. In our text, it's called the gospel of Christ because he is the author and finisher. The gospel displays his wisdom and love. It took the perfection of his person. Most religion try to get you to perfect your person. And I will admit from a temporal perspective, I do wish more people would perfect their person. <laughs> uh, we're having a lot of discussions in the society today about personhood. And boy, is that one ever hard to define. Amen. But I do wish people would do a better job and sure make them better citizens and neighbors if they would perfect their person. But let me tell you something. You're never going to perfect your person. Amen. You might improve your person. But the Lord Jesus Christ was absolutely perfect in his person. It took the completion of his work. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus being misunderstood and talked about and persecuted the way he was? and yet him absolutely perfect, and yet he kept going. Amen. I couldn't have blamed him a bit from a human point of view if he'd have said, well, forget this, man. If I'm coming down here to save your sorry souls and you're going to treat me like this from a human perspective, I couldn't have blamed him a bit if he'd have said, forget the whole thing. Amen, brother. But you know what he did? He went through it anyway. Even when the his main, his people, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Even when they rejected him, persecuted him, spit upon him, even when they brought the Roman government down on him, when he was doing nothing but good for all of them, he still completed his work. And it showed his perseverance even through suffering. This no wonder we call it the gospel of Christ. So let's look at the gospel of Christ, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you. If you want to have power in your life, have power through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That'll put some power on you. You can't imagine any other way. We used to sing a, a chorus sometimes. It says, learning to lean, learning to lean, learning to lean on Jesus, finding more power than I've ever seen, learning to lean on Jesus. I will add one little addition to that little chorus, and that's this. You need to be leaning on Jesus while you're spreading his gospel. That's where the power is. A couple of young men in here called to preach. You emphasize the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey. If you can't preach anything else because of the context of a, of a certain place where you may be, determine in your hearts not to know anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified. At least always preach that, even if you can't get to the other things for one reason or another. Why? That's where the power is. Other people may be not called to preach, but you, you can be used. Whether it's a musical talent. My son William over here, he is incredible in his knowledge of uh, history and geography. It blows my mind. He can. I, I, I don't know where a country is, and he'll know where it is. I sure won't know their flag. He'll know their flags. He can go through 
you can show him like 25 flags of some random country, and he'll know nearly every one of them. <laughs> William, here's what you do. You use that for the spreading of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows about battles and how different people won battles in obscure, or at least obscure wars to me, over in Europe and stuff, and knows the knows the strategy behind it and all that stuff. He sits and watches documentaries on that stuff and studies that stuff all the time. Let me tell you where there will be some power in that. If you use that to support some missionaries all over this world, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, that will take it to a level of power you can't believe. Amen. Whatever your gift is, whatever you're sharp in, use that in some way for spreading the gospel. If you're a good baker, bake cookies and stick gospel tracks in them and give them out. I mean, just whatever. Anything you can do, spread the gospel and all of a sudden power comes in it. Now, also, to be fair, some opposition will come in it. Because anytime the other army sees a big stronghold of their opposing army, they start trying to take that thing out. They will try to take you out. Don't ask me how I know. They will try to mess you up. They'll try to break your heart. You know what? Just keep firing. If you're in the battle for the Lord and right, keep on the firing line. If we win, brother, we must fight. Keep on the firing line. Just keep firing. All right, now let's look at the gospel here for a few minutes. Uh, its implications. What, are, what is implied by the gospel? Now, before I start talking about the implications, what the gospel implies... Uh, let's read what the gospel technically is over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a well-known passage. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The gospel is, number one, everything is based on the scriptures. You can't even get to step two without the scriptures. Right. Martin Luther called it sola scriptura. And we Bible-believing Baptists, though he was not a Baptist, but we Bible-believing Baptists, uh, our very first distinctive is believing the Bible, Amen. the Word of God. All right, uh, so number one, everything depends on the Scriptures. Number two, Jesus died for our sins and was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You preach that, and there's your power. But there's also your opposition. But there's also your blessing. I mean, you just, you just got in a war. You have no idea what you just enlisted in when you start spreading that. But you have no idea the blessing that's coming your way either. Uh, when you're in a war, you get some of both, don't you? Now, what is implied by the fact that Jesus died on the cross and was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures? Number one, man is guilty. Why in the world would Jesus die on the cross if man was basically good and all he needed to do was just adjust a couple things and he'll be fine. <laughs> no, man was not good at all. And there had to be a terrible price paid for man's sin. A horrible, unbelievable, unimaginable price. We're not dealing with somebody that just wasn't quite perfect. 
Many a time I've told this before when I witness to people and talk about how we're all sinners, they all have no trouble admitting, well, yeah, I'm not perfect. No, if Jesus had to die on the cross and have broken fellowship with the Father to work to the extent that he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When there was no reason for the Lord Jesus in himself to have to do such a thing, Amen. there must be something that man is way guilty of. It's a little, it's quite a bit worse than just, well, I ain't perfect. No, man is guilty, terribly guilty, horribly guilty. Amen. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? Not one. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Amen. It's not just, well, I ain't quite perfect. It's a bigger deal than that. If Jesus had to go through that, man must be guilty. Amen. Down there at Dr. Ruckman's, we had a bumper sticker. I used to have one until the thing tore up. I had it so many years. It said, if you can earn it, why did he die? Amen. If all you need to do is work a little bit and straighten up a little bit, somebody once said, uh, the way to heaven is to turn right and go straight. <laughs> no. If there's anything you can do, why in the world did he have to die? That's right. Man is guilty. All right, the second thing is man faces a horrible judgment. For Jesus to go through that, apparently man was headed for a terrible judgment. If all they were going to have to do was, you know, spend two weeks in jail for their sins, I'm pretty sure Jesus wouldn't have come on that cross and died. He just let them spend two weeks in jail. Uh, but when their eternal soul is going to be lost forever, that's a whole lot bigger deal than purgatory or two weeks in jail or any other temporary punishment. Man faces a horrible judgment. Revelation 20, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Amen. That's not purgatory. That's not two weeks in jail. Man was facing a horrible judgment. That's why the Lord showed up. I think William quoted uh, Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Dying without hope and without God is a horrible way to die. Man faces horrible judgment. I'll tell you something else, though, this tells us. God must have loved man immensely. Can you think of some sorry criminal that has done horrible, unspeakable things to people that you love so much you'd die for them so they can keep living? Or, God forbid, give one of your children to die for them so they can keep living? And yet, that's what God did for us. You know what the gospel implies? The Lord must love man more than we can comprehend. Amen. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. You know what's a good thing for you to do in your Christian life? Here's a real good spiritual exercise. We call it meditate. 
When's the last time you sat and thought, good night, how much the Lord must love me, that sinner that I am, especially compared to his holiness. See, there's the problem with everybody just saying, well, I'm not perfect. They compare themselves to some horrible criminal. They compare themselves to some terrorist. They compare themselves to some unspeakable pervert and say, well, I'm not perfect. Hey, listen, on Judgment Day, the one you're going to be compared to is the Lord Jesus Amen. Christ. How do you measure up? That's right. Amen. But can you, can you imagine how sinful you are and how the Lord must have loved you to bring you in anyway. If you don't love somebody immensely, let me tell you something. When they're guilty of the things that we're guilty of, especially from the perspective of being compared with Jesus, oh, man. It's, there's no other explanation for it than love. No wonder we sing that hymn, Love Lifted Me. That was what did it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know what it says in Revelation? Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Amen. Before I shed my lifeblood for somebody, I'll tell you one thing. I love that person. I'm not shedding my lifeblood for somebody I don't know from Adam. I just, I'm just being real with you, man. <laughs> Let me tell you something. God loved us yeah. to do such a thing. Amen. I'll tell you something else, though. Not only did God love man immensely, God's holiness cannot be compromised. Amen. If His holiness is that important to Him, that he loved us too much to let us go to hell, but his holiness was too important to let our sin go unpunished. He said, well, the only way out of this is to let my son go take their death for them. And he sent him down to do it. Wow. Don't ever underestimate the importance of the holiness of God. God's holiness was so important his own son had to die Amen. if he wanted to save somebody. That's right. Man. If you and I loved somebody and wanted to get them off, off from their troubles, off from their punishment, off from their sentence, we'd surely just try to let their sin go unpunished. That won't work with the Holy God. You say, I don't understand this. Here's why. You're not as holy as God is. Amen. When somebody says, I don't believe a loving God would let somebody go to hell, I know exactly why they can't believe that. Because they don't understand holiness. Sinless perfection. When you are holy and have sinless perfection, it is not okay for sin to go unpunished. Yes. Amen. Man is guilty. Man faces horrible judgment. God loved man immensely, and God's holiness cannot be compromised. That is the gospel's implications. Now let's look at the gospel's application. Romans chapter 1. 
Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Amen. First thing I want to say about the gospel's application is, it is to all races. I don't care if you're Jew, I don't care if you're Greek, I don't care if you're black, I don't care if you're white, I don't care if you're yellow, I don't care if you're what they call red. Uh, the gospel is for all races. Amen. That's right. It is sometimes identified mainly with the Jews because the early Christians were Jews, but it's for everybody. It is sometimes identified with the white man because the white man has uh, carried the gospel around the world to a large degree, and it the United States of America, being a big, rich, powerful country, has probably had more Christians in it than most other countries, and so therefore they say, well, it's a white man's religion. No, it's not. It is for all. Amen. Greeks, barbarians, Jews. It's to all races. All right, a second thing I'll say about its application. It is to all classes. The Greeks ones that were in the culture, the barbarians, the ones that were out of the culture, the cultured and the uncultured, the civilized and the uncivilized, the religious and the irreligious. You do not have to join a church to get saved. You do not have to go through some religious ritual to get saved. You know what you have to do? You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I mean his finished work on Calvary, that he died on the cross and was buried and rose again the third day, and if you don't have an ounce of religion, that'll still save you. Amen. Or if you've got false religion and you believe that, that'll still save you. Or if you're civilized, it'll save you. Or uncivilized, it'll save you. If you're smart, it'll save you. If you're stupid, it'll save you. If you're rich, it'll save you. If you're poor, it'll save you. It's for all races. It's for all classes. It's for all intellects. To the wise and to the unwise, the Bible says. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how educated you are. I don't care how, how much the big word that a lot of people enjoy these days, the big term is emotional intelligence. Some people are real smart. They can give you facts and reason and have a high IQ, but they can't get along with other people. <laughs> other people, and they can get along with people great. They have better emotional intelligence. Um, I don't care what you have in all these things. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll save your soul. Amen. Amen. It's to all races. It's to all classes. It's to all intellects. But here's where it gets real narrow. It is to believers only. That's right. Amen. If you do not believe the gospel, if you do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't care what race you are, what class you are, how smart you are, it won't help you a bit. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. There's that power. What was it? Receive Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ is where the power is. You're looking in the wrong place if you're looking anywhere else. Highly intelligent, um, privileged people from great backgrounds do not have the real power. The up-and-coming political class that will surely be taking over at some point in the future is not where the real power is. The up-and-coming moneymakers... The movers and shakers is not where the real power is. I'll tell you where the power is. 
It's with the people preaching the gospel Amen. of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And it is found, first of all, in at least believing on the Lord Jesus Christ so you can get saved before you can preach it to somebody else. That's the gospel's implications. That's the gospel's application. Now let's look at the gospel's publication. All right, now here's how you publish the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16, the first thing I want to say from that is, it is to be not ashamedly. Don't ever be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel Amen. of Christ, for it is the power. Can you imagine Superman all embarrassed and insecure about his powers? <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, I can't pick up that whole building, but I don't want to show off in front of y'all. Is that Superman? Of course you're not ashamed of your power. That wouldn't make any sense. I can leap over buildings in a single bound, and I can fly around the world at supersonic speeds. He's got confidence. He's got powers. Now, that's a silly example, but let me tell you something. It's real. When you spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a spiritual power behind you you can't even imagine. And the last thing you should do is be ashamed of it in any way. Jesus dying on that cross and being buried and rising again the third day is a power you cannot imagine. The last thing you should do is be embarrassed about it in the least. Some people are ashamed of certain aspects of the gospel. Some of it's mysteries. I mean, there's some mysteries involved in the gospel. Some of it's doctrines. In order to give somebody the gospel, you have to tell them some of these other things we've said, that they're lost, that they're a sinner, that they face a horrible judgment. Otherwise, why in the world would Jesus have done that? So you have to mention that. Some people get ashamed right there. Well, I don't want to hurt their feelings and make them feel bad like their religion isn't good enough. <laughs> Sorry, it isn't. You know what Jesus said to the woman at the well? Ye worship, ye know not what. Right. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Amen. Now I'm not saying that you be unkind or impolite, but you be plain. You be direct. You tell the truth, and don't be a bit ashamed of it when you do. Its publication is not ashamedly, because some are ashamed of its mysteries and its doctrines and its ordinances. Next week, Lord willing, we'll observe the Lord's Supper. You know what we remember? Jesus' body being broken and his blood being shed. Oh, we shouldn't be ashamed of that. We shouldn't be ashamed of its public profession. If you're embarrassed about every other time that you speak to people, if you're nervous and, and, and shy, I understand that. But if there's one thing you shouldn't be ashamed of, it's the Lord Jesus. Amen. You know what? He was not ashamed of you. That's right. He took having his body beaten and being stripped off naked and put up on a cross for everybody to see for you and for me. Yes. Amen. God help me to never be ashamed of him. Amen. 
It's publication number one is not ashamedly. It's publication number two is by preaching. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Well, if you know that you're preaching some stuff that is foolishness to people, don't you know there's a human tendency to get ashamed of it? Oh, preach that thing boldly. Preach that gospel boldly. Verse uh, 15, here in our text, Romans 1, it says, So as much as in me is, I am ready to look at it. Preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Up there with those movers and shakers, up there with Caesar and his household, up there with a lascivious lifestyle and a drunken lifestyle and the culture that ruled the world that everybody was so proud of, don't you know there would be a lot of people that would cower under that and think, well, I mean, this is, this is the big movers and shakers of the whole Roman Empire in, in charge of half the world. I, I'm kind of scared about my little religion here. Don't worry about your religion. We're about the gospel of Jesus Christ by preaching. The famous passage on this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Listen, especially preacher boys. Here will be your temptation because you're preaching something that's foolishness to a lot of people. You may be tempted sometimes to make it sound agreeable. Impressive, educated, whatever. Depending on which group you're preaching to, you may be tempted to make it cater to them a little bit. Don't do it. Just preach the clear gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that He died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and just preach it the same way to everybody. Because that part can go for a child or a poor man as much as it can a PhD or a rich man or an old man or a middle-aged man. You just give them the gospel. You know what he said? Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. When you start watering it down so it sounds more impressive, it limits the effect of the cross of Jesus Christ. When you show a bloody beaten Savior dying for our sins even though he didn't deserve it but then being buried and rising again the third day by nothing but the power of God that has some power that putting it in pretty words will never do but the rest of that uh, great passage in 1 Corinthians 1 says the cross of Christ should be made of none effect for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness but unto us which are saved it is there it is again the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Yes, when you're witnessing and somebody's real smart and somebody's got some power and somebody's made some good money and somebody's got some clout, you're tempted to say, well, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of below them. Here's what you remember so that you'll stay bold. Remember that all that money they've got, it's going away one of these days. Yes, it is. And you may not wait till they die. 
I remember a study that they did up here in East Tennessee years ago, and they studied the top 10 richest people and the top 10 richest families over there in East Tennessee, and they did a follow-up 20 years later, and one or two of them still had any wealth to speak of, and they were all still living. <laughs> you would be surprised how many people lose their power and lose their money and lose their clout and lose their influence while they're still living. But even if they don't, they definitely can't take it with them when they die, can they? But you have something that will remain. So don't be coward. Don't be impressed. Don't be afraid of any human. The fear of man brings the snare. And let me tell you something. They ain't all that much anyway. They very well may lose it in just a few years. And they're definitely going to lose it when they die. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Verse 20, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made the foolish made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Isn't that a blessed truth? Yeah. Think about that. It pleases God by the foolishness of preaching to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and get souls saved. Amen. If it pleases God, what in the world else matters? That's right. Amen, brother. What if your big boss was some big important person, well known all over the world, with a bunch of money, and he paid you to do something, and some guy that had no position and had no authority and nobody knew who he was, started fussing at you saying, don't you do it that way, don't you do it that way, don't you do it that way. And you turn and say, uh, here's my paycheck from Donald Trump telling me to do it this way. <laughs> Would you be scared of the little guy nobody heard of when you had Donald Trump paying you to do it? Now, let's, put, let's do that times like five million. <laughs> Are you going to listen to some poor little pipsqueak go, me, 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 don't do it that way, me, 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 don't do it that way, when the God of eternity and the whole universe told you to do it that way? Amen. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Right. God Almighty is the one that commissioned you. You ever wondered why some of these Baptists were able to go to jail for their faith? I'll tell you why. Because the little pipsqueak judges that put them in that jail weren't even close to the God Almighty that called them to preach. Good point. That's exactly why. If you realize God called you to preach, no wonder you can live largely without fear. No wonder the Old Testament says, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Why? I got God behind me. And even if I do suffer persecution, the Lord will see me through. When Joseph went through persecution, like we heard in that great Sunday school lesson this morning, the Lord was with him. When Paul the Apostle was about to be shipwrecked, the angel of the Lord stood with him. Amen. When he was given that last answer there in 2 Timothy, and nobody stood with him, nevertheless, the Lord stood with me. That's the thing that will keep you going. If you've got the Lord, you've got what you need. And if you don't have the Lord, nothing else can help you. That's right, brother. Amen. He is all. Its publication is not ashamedly. Its publication is by...
preaching. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the rest of that passage I was going to read a minute ago before I got all stirred up. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That's the gospel's implications. That's the gospel's application. That's the gospel's publication. I will say one more thing about that. It is to show God's power. Now, if you had studied for decades and decades and finally figured out the formula for how somebody could have eternal life, could you not make a million dollars off of that? <laughs> hey, just come see me. Now, it's complicated, but if you'll follow step by step in my workbook I've got here, or I'll send you a link to it, or you can uh, click on it from my website. <laughs> trying to bring this message up today. Um, then, uh, for, for a cool $1 million cash, I'll show you how you can never die and live forever. You know what? Some people would say, wow, that guy's smart. He's finally found it. He did a lot of research. But that's not how it is, is it? You can have eternal life by only one way, the power of God. Amen. Let me tell you what God has power to do to change the life. There are plenty of people that suddenly got a big, big bunch of money in their lives, but their lifestyle didn't actually change that much. Their basic character and personality didn't change. Let me tell you what God can do. He can do for you what money can't to change a life and especially to give eternal life. That's why the Lord did it that way. If it's by some crazy guy up there preaching, looking like he doesn't have much sense, and yet that changes your life like nothing any doctor could ever do, it must be the power of God. Gospel's publication. Now let's look in closing at the Gospel's acceptation. How in the world do you accept? How do you receive such wonderful power? All right, number one, it's accepted by every one that believeth. Now, I'm sure Sean loves his family. I'm sure Dustin loves his family. But guess what Sean and Dustin can't do? They cannot get saved for their family. Amen. All right, we're in. Whew. Sean got saved. Okay, we're all going to heaven now. <laughs> nope. Individual. What does it say? Every one that believeth. You don't have to get saved. Uh, we call America a Christian nation. Do you think you go to heaven because you're a citizen of a Christian nation? Nope. Uh, you just, you can't do it. You know why? Everyone has to believe the gospel. What if we get a saved, conservative president? Then surely we're all going to heaven. No. Everyone that believes. That's why we say the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, because the Bible says every one that believeth. All right, so it's acceptation is every one that believeth. Secondly, it's acceptation answers the question of whose righteousness you trust. Speaking of this great gospel, it says this at the beginning of verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. The righteousness of God. Now, the righteousness of man might be, hey, I had a set of rules and I kept them all. 
And don't get me wrong, I'm not preaching against keeping rules. I think it's a smart thing to keep some rules. It'll keep you out of a lot of trouble. But I'll tell you what it won't do. It will not save your soul. Amen. It's the righteousness of God that will save your soul. So it answers the question of whose righteousness you trust. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. There's a great passage on this righteousness over in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3 verse 4. Uh, Paul's talking about what a good law keeper he was. And he says in Philippians 3 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh. I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He said, you want to you keep score here? I'll guarantee I was more righteous than anybody else you could bring. You bring them on, and I'll guarantee I did even more. And he's lost and going to hell. Verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Boy, Paul had a different opinion on losing things, didn't he? Amen. I have known Christians in my life to lose some things. Lost their fortune, lost their testimony, lost their marriage, lost their family, lost their kids. Lost a lot of things. And boy, how they mourned about it. And two years later, I saw them again, and they were still whining about what they lost. You know what Paul said? I count them but dung. I wouldn't even want them back anymore than I'd want some dung back. When you see how great the Lord Jesus Christ is, if you have to give something up for Him, it's just dung to you. You wouldn't even think about taking it back if you lost it for Jesus. Paul had a different perspective on that than a lot of poor mouth Christians I know. And don't get me wrong, I've lost some things. My heart goes out to people. I'm not being smart, Alec. I'm just telling you, Jesus is way better than anything you've lost. Yes. You remember when that king of Judah had hired those people to come help him and the prophet said, don't you hire them. And he said, but what about the money? I've already paid them. He said, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. Amen. If you've got Jesus, you've got much more than anything you've ever yeah. lost. Paul was able to say, count them but dumb. I've got to quit getting off on things. All right, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. And be found in him, here it is, here's what I was trying to get to, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You know why your good deeds won't save you? Because a holy God is not impressed by them. Why in the world would a holy God who's ten times holier than you ever thought about being, or a million times more, why in the world would he be, all, oh boy, that is real good how good you're doing there. Of course he's not impressed with it. You know what he's impressed? When you obey and believe on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what he told you to do. Now that gets his attention. Did that not please God when Abraham believed him and the Lord counted it for righteousness? That's what he counts for righteousness, is somebody that believes him. That's right. Now again, I'm not preaching against keeping rules. That'll keep you out of a lot of trouble, keep you out of jail and a bunch of other problems. But I am saying, that won't impress God, and it won't save your soul, and it doesn't have the power that the preacher in the gospel has. It'll just, you know, 
keep you from some bad habits. Its acceptation is by everyone that believe, believeth. Its acceptation it answers the question of whose righteousness you trust. And its acceptation does this. It reveals who is truly just. 17 of our text here in Romans 1 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. Alright, what have we seen today? We've seen the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and how it's the power of God and the salvation. It implies that man is guilty, facing a horrible judgment. God must love him immensely, and God's holiness cannot be compromised. Its application is to all races, all classes, all intellects, but then narrows down <coughs> to all only believers only. Its publication is not ashamedly by preaching and to show God's power. Its acceptation is by every one. It's an individual thing that believeth. It answers the question of whose righteousness you're trusting and who is truly just. Now I want to ask you this. Where do you stand in relation to the gospel? There are plenty of people that hate it. There are some that are indifferent to it. Some people, and I've, I've talked about this before, as soon as you start witnessing about the Lord, you see the veil come over disinterest, come over their eyes. They couldn't right. care less about that. That's not what they're into. It doesn't mean anything to them. They don't know. Some are indifferent to it. Many recognize its importance, but they put off accepting it. Where do you stand in relation to the gospel? Other people receive it, but they're ashamed to confess it. Some people are not ashamed to confess it, but they're just too busy making a living to confess it. Let me tell you what you need to do. You need to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you need to carve out some time in your schedule somewhere yes. to spread it, because it'll put some power in your life that I couldn't even explain. It'll put some power in your life. How many of you think that if suddenly a, a long-lost relative died and left you a million-dollar inheritance... How many think that would change your day-to-day -day lifestyle? Let me tell you something. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ would change you more than a million dollars ever thought about changing you. If you'll get excited about that and not be ashamed of it and spread it, I can't even tell you the blessing that you'll have. Now let me be fair and honest, you'll also face some persecution. The devil will see then, hey, wait a minute, this is some heavy artillery on the other side, let me shoot them down. Okay? So that will happen. I'll just tell you that up front so you're not offended by it. But great blessing will also come. Amen. And your life will never be the same. Sign up in the Lord's army. Do that by, number one, making sure you're saved, and number two, spreading the gospel so other people can be saved. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance to read and study your word. Thank you for the wonderful things that we find.